is good. He's good today. He was good yesterday. He'll be good tomorrow. He'll be good every day from now on. Amen. He is good. He is good. He is good today. Lord, You are good. You are good, Jesus. You are good, Lord. You are good, Jesus. You are good forever, Lord. Forever, Lord. Forever, Jesus. Amen. You are good. You are good. Amen. And I love that part. He says, I'm going to shout it from a mountaintop. Amen. Whoever wrote that song, the man or the woman that wrote it, I'm going to shout it from the mountaintop that you are good. I'm going to let everybody know that you are good. Amen. You are good, Jesus. You are good forever. Amen. You are good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's why the angel said, I bring you glad tidings. Amen. It wasn't sad tidings. It was glad tidings. Amen. Of great joy. Amen. Of great joy. We dismiss our Sunday school kids at this time. Thankful they're in the house of the Lord today and especially thankful for our Sunday school teachers who are faithful to teach them the word of the Lord. Amen. Pray for their strength. The Lord will bless them for their sacrifice to be down there instead of up here with the rest of us ministering rather than just receiving. Amen. I'm thankful for our heart of service and our Sunday school teachers to give to others. Amen. We're going to read from the book of Romans chapter 11 today. It's going to be a little bit different type of uh, sermon. I'm going to tag team a little bit with uh, Brother Brian later. He's going to share some information. We're going to look at the nation of Israel for just a little bit today. Because Israel's restoration is a portrait of God's faithfulness. It is evidence that God is faithful. Amen. Romans chapter 11 and verse 1 says, I say then, hath God cast away His people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away His people, which He foreknew. Wot ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel? And skipping down to verse 25, For I would not, brethren, verse 25 of the same chapter, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. In other words, I want you to know this. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now just in case you missed the reference, we're not in the Old Testament. Because some people think, oh, that's all Old Testament stuff. This is Romans. And if, you look in the, if you're not quite sure, just look in the table of contents. It's in the New Testament. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. 
Amen. God is faithful. God is faithful. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for your faithfulness. That you are faithful regardless of circumstance. You are faithful regardless of any exterior force. There is no king or kingdom that can thwart your faithfulness or your promises. Lord, that you move heaven and earth, kings and kingdoms, if necessary, to bring about your purpose. You are faithful. You are ever faithful. And that's why we have hope today. That's why we have peace today. Not because I'm faithful, not because I'm good, not because I'm able, but because Thou art faithful. Everything in Your Word will come to pass. Not one thing will fall idle. But though heaven and earth pass away, Your Word will not pass away, Jesus. So we trust in Your Word today. Spend the next few minutes examining Your Word and the nation of Israel. Help us to understand that You're faithful to us today. That You can be taken at Your Word. That You love each and every one under the sound of my voice today. It's not, not Your will that any would perish, but that all would come to a place of repentance. That all would make heaven their home. That all would be saved. That's Your desire. And that's Your will today. And you're faithful. You're even faithful to keep that which is committed to you until that day. If we'll just keep on committing ourselves to you. You are faithful. Amen. You are faithful. Why don't you, before you're seated, just turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be okay because he's faithful. Everything's going to be all right because He's faithful. And you're pretty awesome too. Go ahead and say that too. You're pretty awesome too. It's okay to compliment someone every once in a while. Amen. You can be seated today. God is faithful. Amen. He is faithful. It's hard sometimes to believe the faithfulness of God because so many times we can't just say our generation is unfaithful, but so many times I am unfaithful. So many times I am not faithful. But God is always faithful. His faithfulness is unlimited. I'm going to go through just some references pretty quick here. But Psalm 36, 5 says... Thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. In other words, it goes beyond our reach. So it makes sense that we can't attain it. Because it's beyond our reach. When's the last time you pulled a cloud out of the sky? His faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Psalm 89 and 33 tells us nevertheless my loving kindness will i not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail god cannot fail in the area of 
faithfulness. His faithfulness is abounding. Lamentations. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. And a a phrase that has become a song and is one we like to repeat. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. He is faithful to His people in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. We go through tough times, we have temptations and trials, but God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. He doesn't just call us and not do anything about it. He's not a prank caller silence (laughs) he doesn't do that he calls us and he does his end of the bargain he does what he says he's going to do if we'll respond to his call he's faithful hebrews 10 and 23 hebrews 10 and 23 let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering For He is faithful that promised. We can hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering because He is faithful that promised it. And finally, 1 John 1.9, He is faithful in forgiveness of sin. Thank God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. 1 John 1.9 Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to do that. He's not going to turn back on that promise. And don't put a but in there. Sometimes we're listening with that conjunction in mind. But, no. He is faithful. He's faithful. The only conditional thing here is if we will confess. If we will trust in Him. If we will bring it to Him. That's the only thing that makes it conditional. If we do that, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Not just sometimes, but all the time. Every moment of every day. And just in case you think you're reprobate, if you want to... If you want to ask forgiveness, you're not. Because it's only the mercy of God that leads us to repentance. So if you want to repent, you're not reprobate. Maybe I've gone too far. Do you want to? Then you haven't. 
Because it's only his love that's drawing you. So he loves you. He loves you. And he's faithful. Again, he's more faithful than us. But I failed him so many times. I know, I have too. But he is faithful. I'm not excusing one sin that I've committed. But he is faithful. He's faithful. And we see this demonstrated through the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 7. You guys are in trouble because the wreaths are covering the clock. I can't see. I have no idea how long I'm going to be talking. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says, For thou art unholy people unto the Lord. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. It wasn't your greatness. For ye were actually the fewest of all the people. And it, I don't, I'm not going to take time to go into it right now, but this doesn't mean that God was discriminating, but He chose a nation, a vessel, and people could come, become a part of that if they wanted to. So everybody whosoever will could still done it but they had to become part of his people his covenant people because even abraham which we'll get to shortly was not a jew okay so it wasn't like god was racist he chose a people just like now he has a church and if you're outside the church that doesn't mean god doesn't love you it means get in Get on the ark. (laughs) Verse 8 says, But because the Lord loved you, and because He would keep the oath which He sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen for the hand of Pharaoh, kingdom Egypt? Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God. Listen to this. The faithful God. It wasn't just us that needs to be reminded. He is the faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Now I think the thousand generations is used because the Lord knew I don't think there's going to be that many generations. (laughs) He's going to come back. Sooner rather than later, which we'll get to maybe shortly. But God said he, he is the faithful God. Thy God is the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy to a thousand generations. That's faithfulness. God first established this through Abraham in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 1 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and unto a land that I will show thee. 
And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And I will curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. God promised to Abram he would build a great nation through him. And he would bless that nation to the point where other people that blessed them would be blessed. Other people that cursed them would be cursed. This is one reason we pay close attention to Israel. And regardless of what you think of the incoming administration in their entirety, understand one thing. They are much more friendly to Israel. And that is something to rejoice about. They are much more friendly to Israel. In Hebrews chapter 6, gives us the condition upon which Abraham received the promise and what the promise was based upon. Hebrews 6.13 For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater he said, I swear to God. That's what he said. He swear by himself. And he is God. You ever heard anybody say, I swear to God. You better be going through with that one. I would not say that unless you know for sure you're going to do it. So because there's nothing greater, why do we say that? Because there's no greater thing to swear by. And that's so God did the same thing. Since I can't swear by any better, I'm going to swear by myself. I swear to myself. I'm going to do this, Abram saying surely blessing I will bless thee and multiply and I will multiply thee and so after he had patiently endured speaking of Abraham he had to patiently endure a little bit we don't necessarily like that part he didn't receive it right away but after a while he obtained the promise for men verily swear by the greater an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife an oath brings peace right A covenant brings peace between parties. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, immutability, say that right? Why can't he just say the unchanging? (laughs) The immutability of his counsel. That means it doesn't change. His counsel never changes. He confirmed it by an oath. That again, here's this word, by two immutable things two unchanging things in which it is impossible for God to lie we might have a strong consolation a strong comfort who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope that is set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil whether the forerunners for us entered even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek We have a hope and an anchor for our soul, the covenant in Christ. And just like God established a covenant with Abraham by swearing by himself, God again swore by himself in the new covenant. He came in the man Christ Jesus, died on the cross, rose again, and provided a new covenant himself. He came himself. 
So we look at the nation of Israel. In his uh, book called The Signature of God, I'm going to try really hard not to put you to sleep in the next couple moments. But I'm going to give some details so that you understand there is quite a bit that the Lord has gone through to confirm His Word. In this book called The Signature of God, if nothing else, it's good material to read to put you to sleep at night. It speaks of biblical prophecies and their predictions concerning the exile and the return of Israel. In their first exile, the Lord appeared to Abraham and he proclaimed that they would be in affliction and bondage for 400 years. Genesis 15 and 13. Genesis 15, 13. And he, God, said unto Abram, Know of a surety that they shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. That's precise. It didn't say for a few years. 400 years. And this jealous mocking of Isaac by his older half-brother Ishmael began the affliction of Abraham's seed in Canaan. And it ended 400 years later with the exodus of the Hebrew slaves from Egypt. Precisely to the day, 400 years. Can you say God is faithful? To the day. 400 years, they walked out of captivity. In Israel's second captivity and return from Babylon, it was predicted with precision as well in Jeremiah 25, 11. Jeremiah predicted the duration of the captivity of Jewish exiles in Babylon would be exactly 70 years. And the Babylonian army conquered Israel in the spring of 606 B.C., And the captivity ended 70 years later in the spring of 536 B.C. Just as God had spoken. 70 years. And you think the enemy was collaborating? Anybody knowing the account of Genesis and the Exodus and that Pharaoh and all those things that led up to it understands Pharaoh was not collaborating willingly. But God had a timeline that he had spoken and he brought it to pass. Exactly as he said he would. And not only was this prophecy given in Jeremiah about their Babylonian captivity... But Ezekiel chapter 4 and verse 3 through 6. Ezekiel 4 and 3 through 6. Now, in a, like I said, in a couple minutes, I'm going to give you several details. Don't worry about connecting every single dot. But at the end, let's just say if you're paying attention by then, you'll be amazed. I can't guarantee if you won't be. If you're sleeping, I'll tell you later. Okay? But Ezekiel 4 and 3 through 6, this tells us very specifically, starting with the end of verse 3 in Ezekiel 4, this shall be a sign to the house of Israel. 
and to us today. It just so happens. Here's a very strange assignment. <laughs> Lie thou also upon thy left side, and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of days thou shalt lie upon it, thou shalt bear their iniquity. Who wants to be a prophet now? Go lay on your side for 40 days. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity, according to the number of days, 390 days, so shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when thou hast accomplished them, lie again on thy right side. And thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah for forty days. I have appointed thee each day for a year. Okay, so if you just take this prophecy here, that's 430 days. 40 days plus 390. 430 days, which represent years. So he's prophesying that Israel will not become a nation again for 430 years from that time, 606 B.C. But they'd already been in captivity for 70 years, so you subtract those. So 360 years from this time forward, they should come back and become a nation and be restored. Sometimes God shows us a glass darkly. We don't understand the fullness of the prophecy until later. One thing we understand is that in the book of Genesis, the Lord gives a divine principle, excuse me, Leviticus, a divine principle that if Israel does not turn from their sin after they've been punished, they receive seven times as much punishment. If they refuse to repent, they'll receive seven times as much punishment. So after this 360 years, you multiply it by seven. You multiply that by seven, and then you also have to factor in one more thing. We need to use biblical years of 360 days, not 365. And so if you take this prophecy, the number of years the Lord said they'd be in captivity, you multiply it by the fact that they refuse to repent. You factor in 360 days rather than 365. You convert it. See, you're trying to connect dots. But I want you to understand it's not just a number that falls out of the sky. You don't have to understand all that. But understand, when you do those calculations, you will find that he is predicting, Ezekiel now, is predicting that Israel will return 2,483.8 calendar years later. They're going to return and become a nation. And one, one other thing you have to factor is there was no zero year between 1 B.C. and A.D. 1. So when you take those calculations, the prophecy of Ezekiel said that in 1948... 1948.4. In other words, the spring of 1948. May 15th, 1948. 2000. Almost 2,500 years later. Ezekiel's prophecy comes to pass. 
Because on May 15th, 1948, the exact amount of years, Israel becomes an independent nation again. And people want to say, God forgot about Israel. Or God's done with Israel. How could Ezekiel prophesy to the year? And not only just the year, but the time of year. Over 2,000 years ago, and God moves all the pieces of earth so that His nation will be declared a nation again at the same exact time He prophesied. And people say, Is God real? You tell me. I think if God can orchestrate all the pieces of history to predict over 2,000 years ago they're going to return. Again, if you'd sit down and look at this logically like I have, it all makes perfect sense. You may not be connecting all the dots right now because I've just spoken them to you, but it comes down to the year of when they would return. How would Ezekiel know that except that the Spirit of God spoke through him? And the fact that God would move all of heaven and earth. Because again, there was a few people that didn't want Israel to become a nation. Just like all the countries around them. Like all of them around them. They were surrounded by people who didn't want them to become a country. Yet they declared being a country once again because God did it. Not just by making them a nation again, but by doing other miracles. Brother Brian, do you mind coming and sharing, please? Wow. wonder why God didn't tell us the exact time of day that Israel was going <laughs> to become a nation. I'm so glad the pastor was bringing up the fact that God is faithful. He's faithful and just to do what he says he's going to do. Because I was a little bit nervous because of this this message here. It's not exactly uh, heartwarming sometimes when we talk about end times and we talk about the things that uh, are in the book of Revelation. And uh, it can be kind of kind of scary for for some of us but we know that if we look up first and we see what God is doing then we can look around and see what's going on in the light of the God's word so there is a website called behold Israel and Amir Safad is uh, the head of that website he's a Jewish He's a Jew, and he lives right in Israel. 
and he sees what's going on. He's part of the government there, so he's got insight to different things. And he can hear radio activity that's been going on around Israel and what's, what's, uh, what's happening in the, the nations there. So when I was starting to pray about this, I was asking the Lord for something. Help me do something. I was going to make a joke about my beard or something, you know, but the, to, to lighten things up, but <laughs> uh, but that wasn't very good. So, <laughs> so the Lord said, "I want to. I want uh, you to remind these people that this is the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, and Jesus is very jealous of the bride of Christ." You could ask somebody called Saul about that. When he was persecuting the church, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? So we can take that to heart, that whatever happens in this world, whatever the governments of the world are doing, whatever they, whatever they want to do to stop the church, that we know that we have our groom, which is Jesus Christ, and he is very, very jealous of us all. Amen. Amen. The world is changing. I'll tell you what. You better watch what you pray, because I prayed to the Lord that I can see this coming up. This is what, uh, what Amir says. He says that when you see the Christmas lights come up all over, you know that Thanksgiving is right around the corner. <laughs> so we can see what's happening in the end times of, of the earth right now. It, it doesn't take a, a, a very smart Christian to understand what's going on. We are in the end times, the very end of the end times. And the world is changing. As Dorothy said, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. <laughs> Ten years ago, I would have never guessed that Iran and Russia would become buddies. Never in a million years or ten years ago. Gog and Magog, which is Russia, according to uh, the book of Ezekiel, is uh, it no? They don't hide the fact they want to blow Israel away. They want to blow Israel off the face of the map, and they're working on getting nuclear devices to do that right now. There is a ten-year plan for them to do that, and there's also a ten-week plan that nobody's supposed to know about. So, how long will it take them to get a nuke ready? I don't know. But if you want Jesus to come back in a hurry, try to drop a nuke on Israel. <laughs> Russia is very active in Syria very active in the Middle East Russia brought in four fighter planes underneath a cargo plane so they could get under the radar and they put their four fighter jets in the base that they're making in, in Syria and by the border of Israel and when nobody said anything about it they brought in 24 more and they have a base there with their fighter jets. Some people thought that the United States should have said something, but the United States didn't say anything about that. Now we have a new president-elect, and he is saying that he's going to move the United States embassy to, to uh, Jerusalem. We'll see if that happens. That would be a good move, I think. So they brought in these 24 more, and then they started two more bases after that. And this was months ago so who knows how many more bases they have now and they're coming in to Syria because ISIS is there and they're trying to take over Syria ISIS is not very friendly 
they're killing, killing Christians, and, and uh, many of the Muslims are fleeing out of Syria, and they're looking for a peaceful place. 95% of Muslims are peaceful. It's just that 5% that are terrorists. So two-thirds of the peaceful Muslims are coming out of Damascus, and that leaves only Israel. Well, Isaiah 17, we won't look at some of these scriptures because of time, but it speaks of the destruction of Damascus in Isaiah 17. You know, and Damascus has given Israel a real good reason to do that right now. So we're coming down to the wire on this stuff. Muslims are fleeing, and they're looking for a peaceful place to go. And one of the places that they are ending up right now is Western Europe. Western Europe is welcoming these, Western, these uh, Muslims who are looking for peace, and it's because of the Catholic Church. 80, 90, 90% of, the, of the, the religion in Europe is Catholic. And the Pope has made statements that they will welcome in anybody who wants to come in. And he has made statements like, you don't need Jesus to come into the Catholic Church. We'll welcome anybody in. Any religions, any beliefs. And he is quoted to saying that, that you don't need Christ to be saved. You can find it on YouTube. All you need to do is be a good person. He's calling for the Protestant church to come back to the Catholic Church, and he's having a really good success with that. He's bringing in all these churches to make one big church. And it sounds like a world religion is being birthed right now. Even the atheists, he said, are saved by the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus covers everyone, no matter what you believe, whether you believe or not. When he can give a 40-minute speech to Congress here in the United States and never once mention the name of Jesus, then you know that we have a problem. He says he can understand the terrorist side of things. And I think he said something like, if somebody slapped my mother, I would slap them back too. And he's defending the terrorists in that. He welcomes the LGBT community into the universal church as long as you go by the way of the Beatitudes. You know, do it to somebody else before they do it to you. No, that's not right, is it? The Beatitudes. As long as you are a good person and you are being nice to everybody and tolerant, then you can be part of the universal church, which is the Catholic Church. Truly a one-world religion. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for but by me. That's very simple. So it sets the stage for the one world government, one religion, one government. You cannot have one government without one religion. That's what all this Muslim and all this fighting is about, because they want to control the world with their religion and their government. One world government can handle the, the climate crisis. Did you know we're in a climate change? And it's either burning up the planet or freezing it. I, they keep changing their mind. I don't know which one it is. The nation's having problems today, and nobody has any answers. The world is looking for that one man with the plan. If somebody can step up 
and cause all these problems to go away, then the world will follow him. And we'll know that person as the Antichrist. Evil is called good, and good is being called evil. Iran is the new power, the new nation in the Middle East, and that is being called good. All the nations are against Israel. And if you check out the boycott Israel movement that's going on, you'll see that Israel is bad. Muslims are good. Israel is bad. Gay marriage is being called good now. And even the White House adorned itself in the rainbow colors in support of gay marriage when that movement took place. So when you begin to see these things, Jesus says, then you know. When you begin to, well, this, these things are going on. And they've been going on. So Jesus says, look up. You know your redemption is nigh. Remember, you're the bride of Christ. Now, I don't want everybody walking out of here with their head down. Oh, man, Jesus. <laughs> That's a bummer. Now, you know, no government can save us. We can't look to any president. We can't look to any leader to save us. There's only one Savior of the world, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The world so desperately needs Jesus, and we need to share him with the world. But if we focus on one thing here, these prophecies that are being fulfilled, uh, number four, we're going to focus on that one right now. The land of Israel would be reclaimed from its desolation, becoming once again a land of agricultural abundance in Ezekiel 36, 34, and 35 there. So this is one of the prophecies that Pastor was talking about that has been fulfilled. And we're going we're gonna to watch a video here, and uh, we're going to see how that has been fulfilled and uh, what, just what's going on with that. Thank you all for listening. Praise the Lord. In 1867, Mark Twain toured the land of Israel, known back then as Palestine. Here's how he described it. A desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but is given over wholly to weeds. A silent, mournful expanse. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes, desolate and unlovely. Today, Mark Twain wouldn't even recognize this land. Out of rocky soil, out of swamps, and even out of deserts, Israelis have created gardens, vineyards, and farms with some of the most innovative techniques in the world. Before Israel even became a state, Jews by the thousands came to live there on communal farms. But when they arrived in the Promised Land, it wasn't exactly flowing with milk and honey. The coastal plains were swampy, the Galilee and the Judean hills were rocky, and the southern half of the country was mostly desert. In the coastal plains, citrus groves replaced the swamps. And the Jordan Valley, once the center of the malaria epidemic, now became the country's breadbasket. The Negev Desert blossomed with newly planted forests and vineyards. 
and the Arava, once the most arid part of Israel, became the site of a flourishing vegetable industry. All of this was accomplished in the first 20 years of Israel's statehood. In that time, they more than doubled their standard of living. And people say, Ma you know, how great and wonderful are your creations, uh, God. And this really shows that every single thing has a reason. There's a purpose for everything. These tiny little things, and look how much good they do for us, for the world, for the farmers, for the environment. It's really, really amazing. You were indeed blessed because that was the principle of Genesis 12, as we learned yesterday. God will bless those who bless Israel, and God will curse those who curse Israel. This is a given. If you come to Israel, I always take my people and I show them the border on the Golan Heights and with Lebanon. I, I, all I need to tell them is, whenever the green stops, that's Syria. Wherever the green stops, that's Lebanon. You can clearly see, visually, where the blessing stops. And then when we drive along the Jordan Valley, people tell me, but wait a minute, on the Jordanian side, it's green also. And I said, yes, but it wasn't green until Israel signed peace with those Jordanians. And now we are having peace with them. And not only peace, the Jordanians are going to be opening their doors for the fleeing Jews from the whores of the Antichrist. So Jordan has to be blessed if Genesis 12 verses 1 and 2 is indeed true. And we see that. A lot of stuff to take in today. But hopefully what you've heard throughout all this is that God is faithful. All these things that God prophesied through the prophets in the Old Testament are happening lock and step. It's all predicted. Some of it we don't understand necessarily till certain things come to pass because we see it through, again, a glass darkly. We don't understand until it happens when we see the prophecy. Oh, now it makes sense. But nevertheless, it, it's all there. And one of the things that, again, we're not, we're not trying to scare anybody today. We're just telling you reality. That uh, after the reestablishment of Israel, the Lord said, this generation won't pass until I return. So the generation, which in 1948, he says that generation won't pass. The only question is, how many years is a generation to God? But that says to me, it can happen really any day. He can come back because the volatility of the, the Middle East, again, is a key indicator because as soon as the world turns against Israel and comes to overtake them, Jesus is not going to stand back and watch. He is going to be faithful to step in. And before that, if you look at most timelines, we're, the churches are going to be gone for about seven years or more because we're not going to be here for the tribulation. God's going to take His church out. The Antichrist is going to usher in. He's going to have peace for three and a half years. Then He's going to turn the other side of His face. <laughs> three and a half years, it's going to be bad. And then they're going to come against Israel and the Lord will return when the Antichrist steps into the temple and tries to say he's the Messiah Jesus says um, 
that's enough. <laughs> that is enough. And that's what's known as the abomination of desolation. But as you can see, uh, God is faithful to bring those things to pass, which he has promised. And just as he uh, restored the land of Israel, coming to a, a close here, but as he re- restored that land that was once desolate and made it fruitful, I believe he wants to do that also in our lives today. Areas that have become desolate, areas that have become unfruitful, God is wanting to turn it around. He's wanting it to be fruitful. He's wanting it to be vibrant with life again. And there was these seeds, uh, one uh, video that I watched on YouTube, they found these seeds that are some 2,000 years old. Some seeds that they had found in Jerusalem. And they were able to germinate these seeds and they're beginning to grow. Seeds that had set idle for 2,000 years. But now are growing. That's what God wants to do in our lives. Amen. If we could stand today, it doesn't matter how long our lives have been unfruitful. It doesn't matter how long certain things have seemed dead. God wants to restore us. And certainly Israel did not deserve to become a nation again in 1948. I'm not trying to be anti-Semitic, but they crucified Jesus. They rejected him, and they're still rejecting him to this day. But he's faithful anyways. He's faithful to do what he said he's going to do regardless. Because again, it's not because of their greatness. It's because of his word. And I know certainly, just as much as they didn't deserve it, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's mercy. But Romans 10, 13 is written to all of us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's by the same God. It's a promise to all of us. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Whatever you're going through, all you got to do is call on the Lord. And He'll save you. And one more promise to end and to pray about. Some of you probably guessed where I'm going. One of my favorite promises. Acts 2.38 Then Peter said unto them, Repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins or the forgiveness of your sins. You can repent. You can be baptized in His name and receive your forgiveness of sins. And when your repentance comes to fruition, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39 For this, what? Promise. This is a promise from God. This is a promise. 
And I don't know about you, but I want God's promises. So this experience, this promise, isn't for a select few. As we read, whosoever will. So all we have to do is repent, which means to change our minds, to decide to follow Him, to fully trust and confess to Him. And when we do that, it's not that we're so worthy now, it's just that He said, if you'll do that, I'll give you the Holy Ghost. And He can't lie. And He can't go back on His Word. He can't change His mind. I'm not saying He even wants to, but He can't. So today, if if you don't have the Holy Ghost, all you got to do is ask for it. All you got to do is repent and ask for it and receive it. If you need to be forgiven of your sins, you just got to ask. It's a promise. It's a promise. Amen. I'm thankful He is faithful to His promises. Amen. Let's pray today. Lord, we're thankful for Your faithfulness displayed in the nation of Israel. Lord, and I know, I don't want to give any credit to the enemy, but I know how He works. He tries to convince us sometimes that we're not going to receive the promise You've given us. We're not, we're not worthy of the promise. We're, we're, we're unqualified for the promise. But Lord, instead of listening to that, we want to stand upon Your Word. And if Your Word says it, I'm going to believe it. I'm not just going to make stuff up and say You have to do it, because that may be my own thought. But if it's according to Your will, You said You will fulfill it. If I'll ask anything according to Your will, it shall be done. It shall be done. The Lord, we're living in momentous times and You could return literally any moment of any day. And we need to be like the virgins who are wise and kept their oil in their lamps and kept looking for Your return and did not slack and did not get so caught up in the things of the world that we forget about focusing on Your return. Because we don't want to miss it. We want to be ready for Your coming so that we can sit around the marriage supper of the Lamb and we can partake, Lord Jesus. We can partake. Lord, I know we can't all understand everything that's going on. I don't even come close to understanding all the prophecies and all the revelation and all those things, but I can understand whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can understand that. That's simple. That's, that's just real easy because if I'm in trouble, I just need to call on Your name and I'll be saved. All i got to do is call on You, Jesus, and I'll be saved. I'll be saved. I can understand that. And that's all you really need to understand this morning. If you have something you need this afternoon, if there's something that you need today, you don't have to understand the entire Bible. You just have to have faith in Jesus Christ. You just have to call upon His name. And He will do the rest. You just have to surrender to Him. And I encourage you just to surrender it to Him.